but let's get right into our word this morning. Oh, by the way, thank you for helping us with our food distribution on Thursday. We cannot do it without our volunteers. We've been doing this now for four years, uh, and we'll continue on in January. Uh, we can't do it uh, without help, and uh, thank you. Uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, let's, let's read our text this morning. Uh, rather lengthy, but we'll begin, uh, let's, let's begin number uh, verse 68. It said, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us, in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. And we're going to jump right in, and, and that text, let me just kind of give you a, a little insight on that text. That's a song, that actually is a song that Zacharias uh, sang at the birth of his son, John the Baptist. Now, it talks a little bit about John the Baptist, but really, the song is about the coming Messiah. Because remember, when Jesus was born, they, they had been looking for the Messiah for a long time. In fact, the very first messianic promise ever given was in Genesis 3.15, where God spoke about the seed of the woman. So this has been a long process. Then you, uh, I mentioned it last week, even though you can go to your Bible and flip a couple pages and go from Malachi to Matthew, it was 400 years of darkness. And so there was a, an anticipation and expectation. It was into that environment that Christ came. Um, and, and so this morning, uh, as we, I, I want to talk about beating the Christmas blues. Uh, a, a few days ago, somebody asked me one time, do you ever watch the news? And, and my answer is, now I used to, I don't, I don't much anymore, because they, it, they, they begin by saying good evening, and then for the next hour they tell you why it's not. And so what I do is I typically will read news articles, uh, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll peruse some of the headlines, and if it captures my attention, then I'll read it. And, and the reason I'm telling you that is an article came, through my, uh, came across my screen the other day that grabbed my attention, and, and the title of the article it read like this, why do I feel sad during Christmas? That, that was the title of the article. Why do I feel sad during Christmas? Now, I was intrigued because this is the time of year that's supposed to be a, a, a time of joy to the world. The Lord has come. Good tidings of great joy for all and, and peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That's what it's supposed to be, right? Why am I so sad at Christmas? You know, we sing that song, it's supposed to be the most, what, wonderful time of the year, and yet that title arrested my attention. And so I opened the article and I began reading uh, what most of us probably already know, and that is this. You know, Christmas time is, is supposed to be a time of wonder filled life, but for many, it is truly a time filled with the blues. So I said in the early service this morning, we have the spectrum. We have people that are over here on one side and they are ecstatic about Christmas. They, they love the holidays, they love uh, they love the, the, the decorations, they love, they, lo they love all that stuff about Christmas, and then you go all the way over here, the pendulum shifts, and there are people that literally are depressed and anxious during Christmas. I enjoy Christmas, I love Christmas, I've had my lights up since September. Well, let me give you a, but let me qualify that. I have a guy that helps me because at my age I don't need to be climbing on a roof, right? Because I, I believe in ministry, hospital ministry, but I don't want to be you know, I don't want anybody having to come see me in the hospital. So I have this guy. So anyway, he called me in September and said, hey, um, can I come and put your lights up for you early? And he said the magic word. He said, I'll give you a discount. So my lights went up in September, not because I'm festive, but because I'm cheap. <laughs> and, and, and got the lights up, and I told my grandkids, I said, they can't come on till Thanksgiving. So they've been up. I've been one of those guys. You drive by and I got lights on. They're not coming on until Thanksgiving. 
Um, you know, it's, it's a wonderful time of year, and, and, and yet there are people today that suffer with the holiday blues. You know, it's an interesting thing because if you start looking at uh, clinicians even have a name for it. They, there's a clinical name for this type of this, the Christmas blues. The acronym, it's kind of interesting. I mean, somebody really put a lot of thought in it. The acronym for the Christmas blues is SAD. That's it. SAD. What it stands for is seasonal affective disorder. It, it, that, that's true. It's, you can go Google it. If you don't believe me, Google knows everything, right? So, so anyway, seasonal affective disorder, and what it refers to is a short-term mental distress that's caused by financial pressure, social anxiety, and loneliness, and loneliness. So think about it. Around us today are people that are struggling, people that we come in contact with on a day-by-day basis that are struggling with seasonal affective disorder. In a recent survey done by the National Alliance of Mental Health, here's what they said about SAD. 66% of people in this time of year, the season, the holiday, the Christmas season, 66% of the people experienced increased loneliness. Think about it. We live, we live in a world that's filled with people and they're getting more people all the time and your neighborhoods, they're not, you know, they're, they're people moving in your neighborhoods. 66% of people feel more pressure of loneliness than any other time of year. 63% feel too much pressure around the holidays. 57% had unrealistic expectations about Christmas and the holidays. 55% found themselves remembering, remembering happier times in the past as compared to right now. 50% were sad about being unable to be with their loved ones during Christmas. And I, I gave you those stats because here's the thing. We sing joy to the world, and yet sitting near us on a typical Sunday is someone who probably is struggling with the Christmas blues. We sing joy to the world, the Lord has come, but sitting around us, near us, are people who are struggling with the Christmas blues. Again, I, I love this time of year. And it's not just chestnuts roasting on an open fire or Jack Frost nipping at my nose. Frankly, I could do without him doing that, but... But, uh, you know, I, I like this time of year. It's not about the 10-pound fruitcakes that become great doorstop, you know, doorstops or boat anchors. <laughs> and if you like fruitcake, I don't mean anything by that. My dad loved fruitcake. In fact, I'd save them up all year and my dad come over, here, Dad, you can have all the fruitcake you want. You know, it's not about seeing Mommy, as I said last week, kissing Santa Claus under the mistletoe. I love this time of year because, as Paul said, that it is in the fullness of time that Christ came. To me, that's, a, that's an amazing... Now, he didn't say it was the optimum time, at least from a human perspective, because it wasn't. I mean, when Jesus came, it was a dark time. 400 years had not been a fresh prophet from God. 400 years had not been fresh manna from heaven. 400 years, it seemingly was like silence. And yet, in that moment, in the perfect time, when everything was where God said it needed to be, he came. You know what? He did that in the first coming. He'll do that on the second coming. You ever ask God, why don't you come back? <laughs> Why haven't you come back? I, I know I have. I look around at our world. I look around at the chaos and the discord and all the stuff that's going on on the planet Earth. And, and again, we talk about globally, but what about locally? You know, we've got tension and we have strife and we have conflict. And I'm thinking, Lord, God, you're really missing a good time. You know, I mean, you, you could come back any time. I told the early service, I said, you know, God delays his return because he's merciful and gracious. Every day that he delays his return is another day that people are born again into the kingdom of God. But it was the fullness of time when Christ was born. Why did he come? To bring light into the darkness. This whole thing this Christmas has been, those who dwell in darkness have seen a great light. My prayer is, God, let me as a light bearer, whenever I go, wherever I go, let me bear the light of those I come in contact with. Because there are people that are hopeless, there are people that are struggling. They have the blues. Let me shine the light. See, what did Jesus do? You know, when the, when the shepherds were out in the field at night watching and guarding their flock by night, the Bible says that the glory of the Lord shone about them. It was a light that, that, that permeated the darkness and drove away the darkness. That's what you and I have been called to do because all around us are people that are struggling with the Christmas blues and they're struggling with, uh, again, for whatever reason, you and I, hope was born that night. 
You know, the shepherds, the Bible says when the shepherds heard the message, I love what it says about them. The Bible says that with haste, with haste, they went to see this which was spoken. I believe that when we offer hope, and again, our sign that we have, uh, and I hope everybody's seen it, it's a beautiful sign there by, by uh, Goodwill. If you look up, it says hope is born. Because that's what Christmas is. It's a birth of hope. It's a birth of dreams becoming reality once again. Again, I love this time of year uh, because we can declare the message is still true. For unto us a child has been born who is Christ the Lord. That's still the message. But again, not everybody can tap into that joy of Christmas. For many people, Christmas isn't a time of celebration. It's a time of tension. It's a time of disappointment. It's a time of loneliness. And it's a time of frustration. So why do we get the blues? I mean, we talk about the Christmas blues. Let me ask you, are you, do you have the Christmas blues? Don't raise your hand, but, but are you struggling this Christmas with the blues? If so, you can break free, by the way. You can break free. I'm gonna, I, if we're going to rediscover Christmas, the first thing I need to do is I need to discover why do I have the blues? Well, there are a couple things I think come to bear on our emotions during this season. Let me give you four things that are, I think are very problematic for us when it comes to Christmas blues. Number one, one of the things that causes the Christmas blues is unrealistic expectations. What does that mean? It means I set the bar here when in reality it should be here. For instance, during Christmas, most everybody wants everything perfect. And of course... It never is. <laughs> there will always be a family member that's late for lunch. You tell them 12, they're going to show up at 2. Now, we laugh about that, but that's the reality. And for some people, it incenses them. You know, it's like one lady, one lady said, she said, you know, at Christmas, all I want at Christmas is to be able to at least pretend I have a normal family. You know, so so here's, a, here's a lady that says for 364 days a year we have a dysfunctional family and for one day out of the year I want a functional family. Listen to me. It ain't happening. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. And, and what we do is we set ourselves up because we have these unrealistic expectations that things are going to go the way we want them to. It's not. It's not going to happen. You're going to burn the turkey. Somebody's going to arrive late. I mean, it's just, it's just going to happen. Uh, I, I, saw a, I saw a little deal come across my feed the other day, and it said, whoever has enough uh, whelmed? We're either overwhelmed or we're underwhelmed. When do we ever get whelmed? You know, <laughs> when do we ever get there where we have just enough, <laughs> you know? And, and that's, that's, the, that's part of the holiday blues, the Christmas blues. We're either, we, we, we've just got too much, unrealistic expectations. Here's another one, financial pressure. Have you been to a gro grocery store lately? Whoo, my goodness. I can remember just buying groceries for Sheila and I. And, I mean, she eats quite a bit, and I have to keep it stocked, you know? <laughs> I, I, can, I can remember $50. I'd come out with about four bags of groceries. Now you're lucky if you get half a bag. Financial pressure is a real legitimate cause of Christmas blues. I mean, think about it. Every year we want to give our kids, what do we say? I want them to have the best Christmas ever. Nothing wrong with that, except if you mortgage your house or you borrow from the future to pay a momentary. You know, does, does that make sense? You know, in addition to giving our kids the best Christmas ever, you know, we still have a zillion other gifts to buy. We've got to buy for our extended family members. We've got to buy for our friends, our coworkers, our employers, and so on. So we spend. We spend a lot of money. We spend more on food and travel and decorations. And, and if you're like me, it seems like this year everything just hits at once. On, on, on this past week, my washing machine went out. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> and, and so I did what any American man would do when something breaks. I went to YouTube. It's amazing. 
So anyway, I go on YouTube to figure out what's going on with my washing machine. Because again, remember, I have my lights up since September because I'm cheap. So I go to YouTube and I find out what's going on. I see the codes on my machine. And so I go in there and I do exactly what that machine, that YouTube video says. And you know what? It worked for three cycles. <laughs> and, and I'm right back where I was. So I, I don't know. I'm going to have to break down and call somebody or, you know, who knows? Maybe end up having to buy another washing machine. Who knows? And then I get into my car and I look at my tires and guess what? My tread's bare. I need new tires. And I thought, man, man, it's all, how many can relate to that? It's always something, always something. You know what? Financial pressure is a, is a great contributor to Christmas blues. How about this one? Busy schedules. Anybody busy? Oh my goodness. Even the most sedentary people during the Christmas season, I mean, I'm talking about people that only socialize maybe twice a month, and their, their calendar's packed during the month of December. The blowing and going, always something to do. There are parties and programs to attend, and, and, and we've got to squeeze all that time to do those things. Plus, we've got to shop, and then we've got to cook and, and bake and visit and do all these other things. We get so busy that we meet ourselves coming and going, and we get just overwhelmed. Another one, number four, and I'm just going to give you four because I think these are the most common that contribute to Christmas blues. How about this one, family conflict? You know, some people you only see one time a year for a good reason. You just, you just don't get along. You just don't get along. I mean, and, and it happens, it probably is in every family. There's always somebody. You know, there are relational conflicts. Some of them date back decades and every year you come together thinking it's going to be different, it's not. And what happens is those old wounds are reopened. And it's a very stressful time. One, one young father said it like this. He said, you know, the part I most dread about visiting with my parents is that we travel 500 miles to see them, spend three days, of, endure three days of criticism about every detail of our lives, from how we raise our children to the kind of church we attend, but if we ever decide not to go to Christmas, for the, uh, go to Christmas, we'll never hear the end of it. See, those are contributors to Christmas blues. We all struggle. Uh, again, maybe you can relate to some of these. There are others for sure. But these are the biggies. These are things that you and I deal with on a, on, on a day-by-day basis. We have these unrealistic expectations of how... Listen, I, I understand that. You know, we, we all envision of how we want things to happen, and it rarely does. I, I was telling early service, I remember... Many years ago when I went to teach uh, a pastor school in, in South Africa, and, and I'd never been to South Africa before. And so in my mind, you know, you know I, I'd seen National Geographic, okay? So in my mind, I'm thinking everybody there lives in grass skirts and, or loincloths and lives in grass huts. And so when I land in Cape Town, it's a major metropolitan. I, I, I mean, it was just weird to me because I'm thinking, where's the grass huts? Where, where are the loincloths? Where, you know, that, that's kind of what I was thinking. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm there, and it's a beautiful city, and, and, and we do uh, a lot of our ministry there in Cape Town. Then we go over to a place called New, uh, East London, which is on the Indian Ocean side there by Durban. And, and I'd live there. It's a beautiful place. But in my mind, I'd created an image of what I thought it was going to look like. And see, we do the same thing with Christmas. I do that preaching. I'll sit in there and work on a sermon, and I think, man, I'm going to preach to the masses. This thing's going to get people, and, and then I hit reality. One-third of the congregation out every single week has been like that for years. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just simply saying, we get these mental pictures of what we think things should be, and they never measure up. That's, that's a setup for Christmas right there. Be careful. You know, Paul said that we should not conform. He said, don't conform. Romans chapter 12. He said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our minds. In other words, we've been called to live differently. My job is not to march to the same beat of the world's drum. My, my calling is to march to the beat of a different drummer, not allow the world to press me and squeeze me. The world says, you got to have this. I mean, you don't believe me. Go back into the 80s, back when the Cabbage Patch dolls came out. I don't know what's in vogue now. I don't know what people fight over now, but, but, but 
they, there were commercials. They were actually not commercials. They were news stories of people that were getting in fistfights over a doll. Ugly doll at that. A cabbage, cabbage patch. Anyway, I'm not going to say anything more than that. You know, it's, it's, it's been like that. He said, don't let the, the world says you got to have this if you want to be happy. You got to do this. You've got to go here. You've got to be invited to this. But Paul said, don't let the world press you into its mold. Again, if we're going to rediscover Christmas, one of the things we have to do is we have to overcome the Christmas blues. Our text, again, as I said, is a song of Zechariah. He sang that at the birth of his son, John the Baptist. And again, it's not so much about him as it is about the coming Messiah. So how do we, how do we, how do we beat the Christmas blues? Well, three things. Number one, goes right back to what I just said. Rethink your expectations. If, if I'm going to beat the Christmas blues, I need to, I need to adjust my expectations. People, people who struggle with disappointment often approach the holidays with the wrong kind of focus. They're focused on making it the best Christmas ever, right? They mentally map out how things are supposed to go, what everybody should do. Have you ever done that? <laughs> I know I have. Most of us create in our mind that image, and it rarely goes that way. You know, we want lunch at 12 o'clock. We're going to open our presents. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. You always have somebody that's late. You've got always have something in the oven that's not ready in time. There's always going to be something. Rethink your expectations. This is not a Hallmark movie, by the way. Right? I did hear that for Christmas, Hallmark's going to give us a new plot for next year. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Some of you might get that one. <laughs> a new plot for next year. Listen, some things are not going to happen the way you want them to. Uh, for instance, you will run out of wrapping paper. Unless you were one of those like in COVID and you bought all the toilet paper, you bought all the wrapping paper. <laughs> you know? You're going to run out of tape. You're not going to buy the batteries. You're going to forget to buy the batteries. Like the dude in our video, you're not going to be able to put the bike together because you're going to have a nut missing. <laughs> The turkey will be dry. The dressing won't be done in the middle. Somebody will forget the gravy. A family member is going to show up late for dinner. The kids are going to get into a squabble. They're going to compare gifts. Well, they spent more on me than they did you. It happens. Adults are going to get into a squabble because they're going to watch football and their team's not going to win or whatever. It's just going to happen. These things are part of the Christmas celebrations that we have. Listen, if we're going to beat the blue, the blues, adjust your expectations. Instead of saying, what is Christmas going to be like for me, why not say something like, what will I be like this Christmas? See, there's a difference. It's, it's, that, it's a subtlety, but there, there's a difference there. What will this Christmas be like for me as opposed to what will I be like this Christmas? Am I going to already set myself up for failure or am, am I going to go into it with, realistic expectations listen i just enjoy taking the day as it comes you know my life is filled with with interruptions and and un, unannounced things and unexpected things and you know over, over the course of the last several years you just learn to roll with it what did, what did they say it is what it is i always add the other part of it because it can't be what it ain't I don't know if that makes sense, but it sounded good to me. <laughs> it is what it is because it can't be what it ain't. Zechariah, in our, in our text here, he said this is exactly what he's prophesying for his son. He said his son's ministry would be to give God's people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sin, and it would be to shine on those living in darkness to guide our feet to the path of peace. What am I saying? I'm saying over the next few weeks, couple of weeks, Every one of us will come into contact with people who need some light to shine in their darkness. You never know. I was, I was telling early service, I was at lunch the other day, and, and uh, the waitress came up and was, you know, just taking order, and it was just the busyness of the, of the lunchtime crowd, and, and I just stopped, and I looked at her, and I said, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And in that hurried lunch crowd, she stopped. And all of a sudden, her eyes popped open. She had a big smile come on her face. And she started, not, not that I was going to buy it, because she wanted like a Louis Vuitton purse or something like that. And I, I'm like, well, God bless you. <laughs> you know? But, but she, got a, she got a little giddy about it. 
You know, just an just a interesting little conversation ensued from that one question, what do you want for Christmas? Every, everywhere we go, there are going to be people who are living in darkness. I think now more than ever, every institution that we put our confidence in of man has failed us. Every institution. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. He's not failed us. What does that mean? It means all around us there are people dwelling in darkness. And, and the thing is, it's not, they're, they're searching. You know, there are people that come across, you can tell they're searching, they're looking for something. We live in a world that's filled with confusion. They're confused about everything. Uh, who's the author of confusion? It's Satan himself. He's the a, he, a God of this world and he's brought confusion into our world. And we're confused about just about everything. Well, Jesus came to bring clarity and truth. And all around us are people searching today. My prayer is, God, help us to be carriers of the light that shine in the darkness. Imagine the kind of Christmas it would be if everybody changed their attitude and said, instead of what is it, what's in it for me, how can I? How can I shine for those in darkness? See, that was the message of Christmas there. The shepherds were in darkness. They hadn't a clue. But the angel said, hey, I got good news for you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. And the Bible said hastily they went to see. So what I'm saying, if you're going to beat the blues, number one, you've got to rethink your obligation. Excuse me, you've got to rethink your expectations. Number two, you've got to rethink your obligation. How many know there's a two-letter word in the, in the English language that's really, really good for helping you with uh, overcommitment? Yeah, some of you know that word. <laughs> no. Sometimes you need to say no. Because if you don't, listen, if you don't manage your time, somebody else will. If you don't learn how to put the, the, the guardrails or the boundaries and, and say there's some things that we can do and there's some things we can't. There's some parties we'll attend and there's some that we won't. If you don't set those boundaries, somebody else will set them for you. And they'll expect you. Listen, in December, if you're not careful, you can find yourself with something to do every single night of the week. It's busy. And you know what? We go back to being overwhelmed again. We're overwhelmed. There's always stuff to do, and our schedules spin out of control until we finally sit down in frustration and say, you know what? I just can't do it all. You know, the Bible says we're to do what? Be still and know that he's God. Sometimes to truly get the impact of Christmas, we need to do that. We need to stop the running, the frenetic pace, and just stop and just know that he's God. Know that in that moment, in the darkness of that night, after 400 years of chaos and turmoil and servitude, hope was born. And it was a message that brought great peace. Listen, it, it would be a shame to make it to a half dozen parties and never have time to shine in somebody else's life. It would be a shame to, to get so busy that we can't stop and see those around us who are suffering today. Again, we can, we can come to church and we can sing joy to the world and around us are people that are lonely and struggling with Christmas blues. God opened the eyes of our understanding so that we can see, oh yeah, I know, we all have it. We've, we've got it down. Somebody asked how you're doing. We've got the plaster. No, I'm fine. How I many know sometimes we need to look past that and see the real person? In a world of business, it's okay to go down the line and say, oh, how you doing? Fine, and just keep going. God, help us to see. Help us, those who have eyes, to see what we cannot see. That make sense? This Christmas season, I want to encourage you to rethink your obligation. Listen, when Sheila had her stroke in 2012, that necessitated changes for us. They're just things we can't do. No matter how much we may want to, they're things we can't do. Things logistically we can't do, th things that we can't do uh, from an energy standpoint. And you don't know how difficult it was to learn how to start saying no, because I love people. I love being around people. I love serving people. But there were things that we had to start saying, you know what? We can't do that. We'd love to, but I'm sorry. And I think every one of us need to learn that. Think about, uh, again, what does it mean? It means that I have to start fil filtering out lesser important things for what's really important. Again, I'm not saying that things are, are not important to us. There, 
I think anything people bring to us is important, but there are some things that are more important than others. And I think we focus on those things. That's, uh, think about what really matters. In fact, Zechariah, in our text, verse 74, he gives us insight into those things which really matter. Look what he's talking about. He's talking about when God sends the Messiah to earth. He says, for, he says one reason is this, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. What does that mean? It means Jesus came to the world to give, us, to give a new order and to give us a new perspective on life. See, the world says that you're going to have a great Christmas predicated upon what you receive. The gospel message is you're going to have a great Christmas predicated on what you give. It's different. Jesus came not to be served, but to become a servant for all. And that's what Zechariah was talking about, that his ministry would be one to serve. And that's what we're here. We're here to serve others. We're here to look for opportunities to be Jesus uh, to other people. When we help someone, again, and it doesn't matter who they are, if you help someone in the name of the Lord, he says, you've done it to me because when you have served the least of these. That's why I enjoy the food ministry that we got started during COVID. Every two weeks we have, I don't know, 15, 20 volunteers that show up every, every week. doesn't matter what the weather is. We've been out there in the cold. We've been out there in the rain. And they're packing groceries and they're putting them in boxes and, and they're putting them in the cars. And, and, and this past Thursday, 200 families got received food because somebody said, you know what, Christmas is about serving others. Oh, I know it would be easy to sit there and say, well, they, they don't really need it. Did you see what they drove in? On, in? Well, that's not for me to decide. I don't know the circumstances behind it. Maybe they stole, I mean, borrowed the car. Just see if you're listening. <laughs> Maybe they borrowed the car. Maybe somebody brought them. Maybe, you, you don't ever know. Maybe, maybe whatever. My job is to serve them in his name. He takes care of the rest of it. That, that's the way I look at it. That's what we've looked at for four years now. Again, I, I think Christmas is one of those times that we, we can go out of our way to, to serve others. When you're sitting there at a restaurant, be able to ask the, the, the server, hey, is, we're going to pray over our meal. Is there anything we can pray with you about? Something innocent. Now, not everybody may be receptive to that, but you never know. There might be somebody that receives that and says, you know what? I'm really having a hard time right now. And be able to pray with them and show them that light has come. See, Jesus restores hope. For 400 years, they'd had a dream, and that dream, actually longer than that, they kept looking for the Messiah since Genesis. And they kept looking and looking and looking, and all of a sudden, Jesus is born. What did he do? He brought hope again. He brought hope. If he did it then, he'll still do it now. And God help us to rethink our obligations and really filter out those fluffy things that really have no bearing on anything and focus on what really matters. And that is hope being born again. You know, what if we buy our kids everything on our list, but we never teach them to serve other people? To me, the greatest Christmas, i got to hurry up and close. The greatest Christmas we can give is to teach our children, it's not about us, it's still about Him. I'll go back to that story I shared with you of that family that were real, real close friends of ours from Germany when I was stationed overseas. And their little girl, by the Christmas tree, they had a, they had a manger scene. You've heard me share it, but I'll share it again. I asked her one time, she was four years old, and I said, Heather, what's Santa Claus going to bring you for Christmas? She, she didn't know what I was talking about. She had never heard of him. Her mom looked at me, Kathy, and she said, she doesn't know anything about Santa Claus. I said, well, then how in the world, I mean, what do you do for Christmas? I mean, that's all. And she said, what we do is we, we have taught her that it's his birthday, Jesus' birthday. And so we have this little manger scene under our tree, and we tell her that when you see the baby Jesus under the tree, we give gifts to each other to celebrate his birthday. And I thought, there you go, right there. Isn't that cool? It's all about him. I'm not knocking anything else, okay? Please don't read between your lines. There's nothing there. I'm just saying I thought it was interesting because if we get so caught up giving them things, the things the world says are important and the reason for the season, we forget to give them Jesus, we've not given them anything. Refocus your obligation. Lastly, rethink your celebrations. You know, it's amazing to me how some people celebrate Christmas. You know, rocking around the Christmas tree, drinking too much at the office party, judging how well it went by how many gifts they received. 
by the way, there'll be people that will do that. They'll compare. They'll say, look at these ugly socks they gave me. How come you got this new Xbox or whatever? I don't even know. There'll be people that will compare. Oh, they spent this much on you? Look, they only spent this much on me. I, we laugh about that, but that's the reality. How many know that? There are people that will compare their gifts. Kids will get together and say, you know, they spent 50 cents more on me than they did you. Rethink your celebrations. I think sometimes even Christians, we get caught up putting too much emphasis on the externals of the holiday, the family gatherings, the big meals, the unwrapping of presents, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. But that's not really the reason for the season. That's not why we celebrate Christmas. I enjoy giving gifts. I'm a giver. I love to give. You know, my daughter said something the other day. She said, Dad, it wouldn't pay for you to be rich. I said, I wouldn't be rich very long because <laughs> I enjoy giving it away. You know, I mean, what are, what are we saving it for, the Antichrist? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really, you know, I, I enjoy blessing people. I enjoy giving things. There's nothing greater than that except giving them Jesus. Again, Michael W. Smith said, I wish you Jesus. Because when I wish you Jesus, I wish you everything. That's Christmas. That's what it means to rediscover Christmas. Oftentimes we get so caught up in the business of the season that we cut back on things that we should increase. Right? We run to, holiday, we run to parties and outings and, 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 and we slack off on our fellowship with the body. I think that's one thing we need, to be, we need to do more of. Guys, come on back as I wrap this up. Let's not forget to celebrate Jesus. You know, without him, our lives would be nothing. Without Jesus, this world would be in trouble. The message of Christmas, if I'm going to rediscover Christmas, I've got to get rid of the Christmas blues. I've got to have some realistic expectations. I've got to rethink how I celebrate. Rethink my obligations. Put some reality to it. I promise you this, Sheila and I wish you the very best Christmas ever. But I'm telling you that there will be some rough patches. There will be some bumps in the road. There will be some things that won't go the way that you want them to go. There will be some people that will disappoint you. I, I, I'm just saying go into it with an open mind and know that there are going to be things that just won't happen. You know what? Just roll with it. Just roll with it. Don't, don't allow it to, to rob you of the joy of the season. One of my favorite, all-time favorite Christmas songs is Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart do what? Prepare. That's the message. That's the message. That's what we wish you this Christmas season. It's great joy, great peace. Prepare a room for him. And then take him into the darkness of our world. Listen, there are people hurting around us. Don't be on edge. I, you know, I pray every time I get in the car because that's where I'm on edge most of the time. I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm just being real. I, and I do, I pray, God, help me. Uh, you know, again, if everybody else knew how to drive, I wouldn't be on edge. <laughs> Some of you, you got the same thing I got going on. You know, seriously, though, don't, don't live on edge. Just go into it with open eyes and understand that we live in a flawed world that's marred by sin, there's going to be things that are going to happen. You're going to get some bad news. Things aren't going to go the way that you want to, but don't let it ruin the joy that's come with the season. Because had Jesus not come, you know what? We would still be dead in our trespasses and sin. But because he came, we've been reconciled to the Father. I've had, I've had, I, ugh, I can't even talk. I have access that means any time, day or night, I can call him up and he hears me. That's what Christmas does. He came to do for me what I could not do for myself. God looked down and he saw Mike Mizell and I'm groping in darkness and I'm trying to find my way. And the father looks at the son and says, son, there's no hope for Mike. There's, there's no hope for him. He's doing everything he can. He's trying his best. But he can't do it. And Jesus said, I'll go for him. I'll do it for Mike.
I'll take ownership of his sin, his guilt, his shame. I'll take it. And that's what he did. Hope was born in that manger. And we know the story because he didn't stay in that manger. He grew up. He paid a price by hanging on that cross. The atoning sacrifice. He was the propitiation of our sin. Turned away the wrath of God that we rightly owned. And he did it because he saw me in the darkness. He said, if I don't go, then Mike will be lost. Curly will be lost. Chris will be lost. Terry will be lost. Ruth will be lost. If I don't do it. See, that's the message that the world's got to hear. And this Christmas season, if you don't have as much under the tree as you usually do, don't let it get to you. Don't let it get to you. Grab those kids. You know, I, we, we've become a family years ago that we, we, we prefer moments over monuments. Anybody can get stuff. In America, we have stuff. We have, our stuff has stuff. One of the fastest growing industries, I believe, is the storage building business. We fill our garages, we fill our attics, we fill our outbuildings, then we get a storage unit, we rent that thing to do what? To put stuff. I think sometimes let's cut back on the stuff and experience the moments. Because listen, there's a place that you and I can go, and I'm closing, I promise. There's a place that you and I can go right now in the presence of God where the luster of man's monuments lose all of its splendor just for a moment in his presence. Martha said, Jesus, Mary's sitting there and she should be doing things. And Jesus said, Martha, you're overwhelmed by so much. Mary's chose the right thing and it'll not be taken. This Christmas season, let us choose the right thing. Let us choose the right celebration and to be with Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Again, for 30 years, I preached the Christmas message, and I said, God, I want to do something very pragmatic this year. I want, I want people to hear. Let me hear it again for the very first time. You know, the Bible says, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, he's ordained praise. I think what that verse means in large part is that let's go back and do, let's celebrate like we did the very first time. We can remember, you know, remember the first time you walked into this building and you, you saw friendly faces and you saw it jumped into worship and you just were enraptured by what you saw and here you are 15 later, 15 years later. Listen, don't become a fuddy-dud. Let everything you do be as the first time. The joy, the excitement, this Christmas season. You know what? You may, not, you may be too old to unwrap things. Well, sit there and enjoy somebody else unwrapping. You may not, again, find something and, and enjoy it and celebrate the reason for the season that a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. And then go shine that somewhere else. I want you to bow with me as we close in prayer this morning. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask something that, again, every week I, I believe altars are where we are altered. And so I'm going to ask this question. If you're here today and you're struggling with the Christmas blues. And again, it could be one of the four reasons I talked about or it could be any number of things. But right now, I, I've had, actually had people say, it doesn't feel like Christmas. Well, I think it's because we've got so many things vying for our time and our attention and I think we just need to tune those out and say, let me focus on the reason for the season. If you're here today while we sing, if you're here this morning, you're struggling with the Christmas blues. For whatever reason, would you come and would you let us stand with you this morning and let us pray together that God, again, those who dwell in darkness have seen a great light. May that light shine again. May His joy fill our hearts because the Savior's come. Hope is reborn. And a new day, a new day's dawned. So while we sing this morning, if you're here today and say, Pastor, I need... Again, I'm going to say to our church, if you see somebody come down, I want you to come and stand with them and pray. While we sing, if you want somebody to pray, if there's anything else you want to pray about, come and let us pray with you this morning.
that one more time. That's his name. names that I love above all. Again, I, I say that every week, but Emmanuel is a name that resonates. Emmanuel means God with us. That's what the incarnation was. God became one of us to do for us what we could not do ourselves. The incarnation is that he came and he, again, God with us. He's with me Wherever I am, if I'm up here, here, or down here, He's there with me. I just want to challenge you. Again, next Sunday is our Christmas Eve communion service. But let Christmas be real. And I know we say that, but maybe in your prayer time, your devotion time, ask God, God, give me a new revelation of Christmas. Again, depending on your age, I've heard it all my life. I'm 58 years old. 
I've heard the message that as far back as I can remember, I've preached it for over 30 years. God, let it be new to me. All the sights and the sounds and the characters, they're all the same. But Lord, let me see with fresh eyes. That's why Paul said outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly, God, renew me daily. Inwardly, let me with freshness worship you. Let me with freshness see the story as I've seen it so many times with fresh eyes. Father, today, I do love you and I thank you. Lord, I know that there's so many around us that are battling with the Christmas blues for whatever reason. Lord, there are people today that are struggling financially. There are people today that are struggling with loneliness because of loss. Lord, there are those struggling because of conflict and chaos. Lord, I pray that in this Christmas season that the light shines once again. And Lord, that we don't get caught up in the messaging of the world that says we have to have this many parties or we have to have this many gifts or we have to... uh, Lord, let us see past that. Lord, you came to those low-class shepherd men and you birthed hope in them because with haste they went to see what was spoken to them. Lord, let us with eyes see for the... Maybe, Lord, renew our sight to see and to hear the message of Christmas so that we make haste to that which really matters. Fill our hearts and fill our lives with the hope that was born on Christmas. I ask you to take us out of here today. May we walk out determined to shine wherever we go. May we be that light that radiates in the darkness around us. Lord, for those who have no hope, Lord, may we shine hope into their hopelessness. Lord, those who lack joy, Lord, may our joy of Christmas because of the message be contagious to them. And Father, help us to serve others because you first served us. I ask you to give us a great day. May we walk in your victory as we celebrate the season. I speak blessings and favor over each person here today. We declare it in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen, amen. Thanks for being with us online this morning. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you.